Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Well, welcome to week two, part two of our three-part series on compelling Christianity. I am, I'm, I'm pumped about preaching the second week, Tyler the third, which is going to be amazing. Tyler Fitch, if you don't know him, you're going to love him. But I'm, I'm really pumped about um, this, the second part in the series. I'm just passionate, man. I'm just, I love preaching on Jesus and God's heart for the lost. Like, just let's, just bless God, you know. Um, so let me read you the scripture. It says this. If you missed last week, you need to watch it because it was really good. So Matthew 22, 1 through 14 says this. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to, um, to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, fat and calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone that you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man was there, was not wearing the right clothes. He asked, how did you get here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Father, we love you. We love your word. Speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We talked last week, just as a really quick kind of catch up from last week, about the fact that Jesus is telling us a story. Story time with Jesus. This is the best. So the, the scripture opens and it says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. A parable, a story, metaphor, allegory, word picture, trying to just trying to get people to believe or see something through through a story. I'm a storyteller, so I love it. And he says, it says here, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. Like, it's like, he's doing it all the time. He's like, again, again, again. Storytelling, saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a man, like a king. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. What a cool opening line. Verse two, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who's preparing a wedding banquet for his son. A billion people viewed into certainly like um, uh, Prince William and, and Kate Middleton, their wedding, a billion viewers. Like I remember, I'm pretty sure I watched Princess Diana's wedding. Like or if I didn't watch it, at least I was young enough to be alive when she was alive and, and doing her humanitarian things. Like, we love weddings. We love royal weddings. We love these kind of occasions, these romance, like a billion viewers. That's one in every seven people on the planet watched it. That's a lot. The kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like a king preparing a wedding banquet for his son, for the prince. And we start to look through the, the, the scriptures here. And we start to look at the passage and we see that there's a, a father or a king who represents God. 
God our Father. Then you've got a son, represents, you know, no bonus points for that one, Jesus. Then you've got the servants that represent us and the guests that represent those who are away from God. So the father is expressing his desire that he wants the guests to come and celebrate Jesus. That's awesome. And our job is to um, bridge the gap between father and son and the guests, that we're the ones who are compelling them to come to the wedding banquet, to have a compelling Christianity. I see my mailman all the time, but you know what I've never seen is a letter from my mailman to me. The mailman doesn't write a letter to me. He delivers mail from other people. He could write a letter if he wants, and I'd read it. He's a cool dude. We say hello to each other all the time. But we are the mailman delivering the invitation to the wedding to celebrate the son to the guests. That's our job as servants. We talked about that last week, and again, if you didn't watch it, please watch it. It's going to make, the, make today make a lot more sense. So I want, to, I want to speak with you today about how really last week was about the father's heart for the guests, and the father's heart to celebrate his son. But I want to land today a little bit more practically for us as servants, us as Christians, how we can compel people to come to the wedding banquet, meet Jesus, have a relationship with the father. And so like, uh, here's an example, a few weeks back, someone came into church, uh, uh, you know, like a guy and his partner came into the church and, uh, and, and, you know, I forget, I forget her name, forget his name, even just like for anonymity's sake, you know. Um, and they came into church and I'm like, how did you come here? They're like, oh, we met someone like um, at this class. And they were like, you should come to church. Compelling people to come. The amount of people that I meet, I know someone met a friend, whatever, I saw someone at work, boom, coming to church. Because they were compelled to be there. By the Holy Spirit, sure. By the Father, 100% but by the servants delivering a warm invitation to the people. If you're taking notes, the practical side of our compelling Christianity, part two, before Tyler wraps it up next week, is this. Your invitation makes a difference. Your invitation makes a difference. Christianity is a team sport. Like we support one another, but we all have our, our own part to play. That we have had lives that have been transformed by Jesus. Our life has been shaped though by a personal invitation that we received. And we can never underestimate the power of one individual changing the life of another. Or if not changing the life of another, because God brings the change, one individual bringing about an opportunity for that change from someone whose life has already been impacted by Jesus, that your invitation to people makes a difference. Change lives, change lives. That my life has been changed and transformed and I'm being sanctified in my relationship with Jesus every day because I'm following him and I'm a disciple of Christ. But my invitation, my life can make a difference in the lives of others. That changing people's lives is not something that we are devoid of or are not a part of, that we are a part of that journey and that process. Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, John Ronald Rule Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, Silmarillion, The Hobbit, one of the greatest uh, thinkers and authors, one of the best-selling authors of all time, that John Ronald Rule Tolkien, his influence on C.S. Lewis was immense, that without Tolkien, C.S. Lewis might not have become one of the great thinkers in human history, one of the great men of faith. C.S. Lewis writes this, You must picture me in my room in the third term of 1929. I gave in. 
and admitted that God was God and knelt down and prayed perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. The most dejected and reluctant convert that this man did not want to bow a knee before Jesus and repent and admit that God was God. But through the influence and the invitation of one John Ronald Rule Tolkien, he turned his life around and became a follower of Jesus. Chris Pratt, Mark Wahlberg, Tom Hanks, Chance the Rapper, Justin Bieber, even the great Chuck Norris have had someone to equate their faith to, someone that they look to, a mum, a dad, a grandmother, a teacher, a counsellor, a friend, a neighbour, a servant, that the father expresses his son to have the guests, expresses his desire to have the guests come and celebrate his son, but uses the servants to impact the lives of others. It's often a mother or a member of the extended family or a friend, a servant of Jesus. That people who confess and profess followership towards Jesus Christ, Christians, do so because of the invitation often of a friend or family member. That never underestimate that your invitation makes a difference. Send it, send it wide. Shoot your shot, as they say. And number two, if you're taking notes, that our assumptions dictate our actions. So your friend, your invitation makes a difference. But our assumptions can dictate our actions. Our assumptions can dictate our actions. For example, Nadia, my wife, beautiful, creative, brilliant, discerning, intuitive, funny, capable, able, the best, the greatest. Nadia Mary Church grew up in a rugby family. And I've known this like her whole family. Her whole family plays rugby. Everyone plays rugby. Like, you name a member of her family, yep, played rugby. Probably represented New Zealand. Probably represented, like, a a professional rugby team of some description. Her her cousin, likely, by the time I preach this message, will be the coach of the All Blacks, the the national rugby team, the best rugby team in the world, one of the most winningest, that's a word, sports teams in human history. Nadi's family is a rugby family. So in my mind, Nadi's family being a rugby family meant that she didn't want to watch basketball with me. So I would, I would watch ball with the boys and never invite her. So I'd have the boys over and never invite her. <laughs> that just sounds funny. Saying it out loud to you makes it just sound ridiculous. It's her house. I made an assumption that she didn't like basketball and it determined my actions. I assumed she didn't want to watch it, so I never invited her to come. And I used to own, um, I probably owned at one point in my life, um, someone in the chat can verify this. 15 basketball jerseys, maybe more. I used to give them away all the time. I had so many basketball jerseys. I loved them. I was like, I probably had an addictive personality nature towards basketball singlets, basketball jerseys. And one time she was like, why don't you buy me one? I'd love one. You know, I think I bought her like a Joakim Noah or a Derek Rose red um, Chicago Bulls, you know, jersey. And she's like, I love it. It's amazing. I was like, oh, I thought you didn't like it. She's like, why would you think that? I'm like, Shrugs, you know, just, you know, Nadia asked Levi a question, shrugs. Like, I don't know, I assumed you didn't like it, so my assumption dictated my actions. Let's bring this home for us. You assume your friends don't want to come to church. You assume your friends don't want to go to small group. You assume that your friends and your neighbors don't want anything to do with God, and so it dictates your actions and you never invite them. Let's change our assumptions. Let's, 
Let's review our assumptions. If our assumptions are blocking an invitation and are blocking a way for Jesus to reach people, let's change our assumptions. Uh, we, we, we assume that they might say that I'm not into the music or like it's too loud or I won't like the people or I don't, I don't think that, you know, um, it's something, it's, it's not for me. Okay, so let me paint another picture. Have you ever been to a buffet? How good? Like if you like when you, you know, you go to a hotel and downstairs like buffet breakfast. Bro, this is a picture of mankind's desire to just have all the food in one place at one time. You know, so you've got like pancakes down here, bacon, sausages, and then all the way moves down here, and then there's like seafood over here. So it's like, how can we get from breakfast to crab meat? You know, and so that's a buffet. But you don't, buffets, buffets are, are, are like, buffets is like church. I can't assume that everyone that I invite to church is going to like everything about church. You know, there's Christmas pudding and seafood on the buffet. You know, that's fine. But no one ever eats a buffet and then is offended at the requirement to pay for everything. They just understand that they paid for everything. They paid for the choice, but just took what they wanted. Here's a great phrase. Eat the chicken and spit out the bones. Because that's what we do. There are things about local church that I don't like, but that's okay. For me, it doesn't matter. They're not hugely important to me because the important things that I look for in a church, if I'm looking for 10 things in a church, our church ticks seven of them. For the other three, whatever. I'm not really... For the 10 things I'm looking for in a house as a homeowner, my house ticks six of them. I'm not concerned about the other four because I get the six or the seven or the eight that I love and I'm, I'm happy to die on that hill, so to speak. Most people will get over the small things about any church that they don't like as if they were simply invited to a free buffet. I don't like everything about this church, but man, there are a couple of things that I love. I love that you preach about Jesus. I love the warmth and authenticity. I love that I can make friends. I love how welcoming the people were. I love that you guys meet on a regular basis and prioritize the Bible. I love the worship. I love the worship pastor. I love the people that are a part of the church community. Whatever it is that they love, our prayer is that they find it in the church. Don't try and assume that they have to like everything about the church because you don't. Love everything about the church. Change our assumptions. Our assumptions dictate our actions. I don't want to get 10 years down the track, finally invite my neighbor to church or to dinner at my place or a small group gathering and then for them to say, why didn't you invite me years ago? I'm like, uh, because I'm an idiot and I'm sorry. Change our assumptions. Our if you're taking notes, this is number three. Again, very practical compared to last week. Last week's father's heart, this week's how the servants, that's you and me, can compel people. Number three, our compelling precedes their coming. Our compelling precedes them coming to church, coming to the wedding banquet, meeting the father, having a relationship with Jesus. Our compelling precedes their coming. I bought um, uh, two TVs one time. I didn't mean to, I just meant to buy one TV. But I walked into like, be like Best Buy. I walked into Best Buy and I was like, hey man, and I'd done the research. I knew what TV I wanted. I knew what price I was gonna spend. And I knew the budget I had. You know, I was like, I was locked in, you know. And I walked up to the guy, I was like, hey man, to the sales clerk, I was like, yo man, um, I'm looking for a, a, a TV, you know, and this is what I want. And he's like, cool man, hey, let me give you a discount. Um, and, and why don't you buy a second one at this price? And here's why it's considerably better and cheaper than anywhere else. And he started in the most brilliant way to explain the difference in quality and reliability between his product and the one that I wanted. 
I knew that I was being sold something, but he was so convincing and he was so passionate that he got so excited about the product that even though it was twice the price or thereabouts, he managed to ignore the price difference and was confident that the product for me was the right one. And I went to the, the, the Best Buy that day to buy a TV, one TV, and I left with two TVs. I went to buy one TV and I left with two TVs. I ended up giving one of the TVs away because I didn't need two TVs. I just needed one TV. But I was so compelled by the passion. I was so compelled by the authenticity of the salesman. The, the picture here is not perfect because I don't want to paint us in the light of being a salesman for Jesus. But the passion, the conviction, the authenticity, the compelling nature. I sat in my car with two TVs <laughs> in the back seat. And I prayed, I said, Lord, give me the passion of that sales clerk, that I would live a life that people would be compelled by my passion and conviction and authenticity for Jesus, that they would look at me and see the Father, that his passion preceded my purchase and our compelling precedes their coming. Our compelling precedes their walking into the doors of the church and having relationship with the community and relationship with the Savior. That I wanna be a person of passion with a compulsion and an urgency and a desperation in my heart that beats for Jesus. Number four, if you're taking notes, we cannot influence those we do not include. We cannot influence those we do not include. When Jesus came, he demonstrated the most awesome circle of inclusion, that he, he was called a friend of sinners. Now, in our day and age, this is a little tricky because um, like I'm a part of like uh, a thousand uh, text groups you know, like little like WhatsApp or iMessage groups. And then there's always going to be someone not included in the group. That's the nature of life. That's just how it is, whatever. There's a thousand groups that you're a part of that I'm not in. Whatever, I get it. I don't understand, you know, I don't, I, well, I do understand why, because it's life. I don't really care about the groups that I'm not in, but I understand not everyone is like that. I would like to have a, um, a community that's mature and confident and has high self-esteem to think that there's nothing that, um, where FOMO can just die. I can think FOMO is not necessarily that helpful. I'm on a tangent now, but like, you know, let me preach this side sermon, then I'll come back to the main one. This is like a little accessory, you know? This is a little tapper. <laughs> uh, this is a little uh, endamame beans on the side that you can just enjoy, and then we'll circle back through to the main dish, um, which is tacos. Now, but just, just understand that I think that we have to, we, to have communication, I've got to start a group with people, and, and there are people that aren't a part of that group because it would defy the purpose of the communication I'm having with those people in that group. But in saying that, we also have to be people that are of immense inclusion. If there's a text group that someone's leading that I'm not in, I'll just ask myself the question, what is the heartbeat of the person running the group? If the heartbeat of the person running the group is inclusion, and I'm not in it, I'm not included, then there's a reason why, and I'm not even gonna worry about it. If the heartbeat of the person is to create clicks and divisiveness and they don't have inclusion as the heartbeat of their life, then I'll have an issue with that. And I might even talk to them about it. Say, hey man, come on, open up your life, man. We're Christians, man. Like we, we are to live for others. But if the heartbeat of our community, certainly to get there, is to have a heartbeat of inclusion, then people having little groups and little gatherings and little things, for me, that's what life looks like. But they said to Jesus, circling back now from our endamame beans, that he was a friend of sinners, which means that Jesus had a large 
an inclusive life and a big heart for others. Let me read you some scriptures to prove my point to you. Matthew 19 verse 14 says, Let the little children come. Children are included. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. John 4 verse 40. So when the Samaritans, Samaritans are included, came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. Samaritans are included. Children are included. Zacchaeus, Luke 19 verse 5. Come down immediately. I've got to stay at your house. He's inviting himself to people's houses. This guy's super inclusive. Yeah, it's almost like reverse inclusion. I'm including myself in your life as opposed to you in mine. Tax collectors are included. Samaritans included. Children included. John 8 verse 10, woman. Women are included. The Bible goes on to say that she's an adulterer. Adulterers are included. That we have got people. We've got people from all walks of life included in the life of Jesus. Our inclusion determines our influence. We can't influence people that we don't include. We try and do that on, um, this is why, okay, can I just do another side sermon? This is why Facebook is such garbage. Because we're trying to influence people that we haven't included. We're trying to influence someone that we have no relationship with. We're trying to influence someone's comment and comment section and they said this and now they're in my DMs and we're trying to have this fight about an issue but I don't know who they are. When's the last time? Like, I'll take you for lunch. If you change someone's mind on social media, but you never met them before, you know why? Because I'm, I'm never gonna buy you lunch. I'll tell you why, I'm eating the lunch. It's in the marmite beans. I'll tell you why, because you've never done it before, because it's not possible to do it. You know, I, I use those words lightly there. Of course it's possible, we pray that it is. We pray we could impact people all the time with our words in life, but our inclusion determines our influence. We can't influence someone without first including them and having a relationship with them. Um, verse 22 says this, what you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. What you've ordered has been, the servants came, the guests are here, like it's banging, like it's cranking, but there's still room. That the servants did what they were ordered, but there was still room. That they were concerned that there was still room, that the father would be concerned that there was space for people and empty chairs. That's not God's desire. The father's response was then to what? To widen his circle of inclusion. That he sent them back out. We were out there compelling people to come to church, get to church, and then we look at God. It's like, okay, wait, I'll be back. And we're highways and byways, street corners, compelling people to come. The father's big heart was matched with his big influence. His big heart was matched with his big inclusion. Don't draw lines. Don't check credentials. Just invite them to the party and make sure that they attend. Leave no Leave, leave no one out. Leave no man, man behind, they say, in a run club, local run club, in a local run club, local church run club. Leave no man behind. Believing for one friend, I remember when I was um, uh, in my 20s, believing for, a, believing for a friend to be saved and was, was working with them and were praying and you know, I, was, I was telling about Jesus, inviting him to church. And then his brother got saved. And I remember thinking, like, because I'm quite an ordered, routine person, I looked at God and I was like, wait, this is not the plan. The plan was that he would get saved, you know. And then I remember God just like, come on, man. It doesn't always work out how you want it to work out, but you've done the including, the inviting, and, and, and I'm at work. My plans are not important, but I'm a part of God's plan. And lastly, if you're taking notes, ours is the gathering, God's is the sorting. Ours is the gathering, God's is the sorting. 
Now, right at the end of the passage in verse 11, it says, when the king came in, he see the guests, he noticed that there was a man there not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants to take him hand and foot, tie him up and throw him outside where there is gnashing of teeth. When it comes to a passage like this, we're like, ooh. You know, like, we're like, yeah, wedding, woohoo, you know, fattened calf, ow, you know, and then bring him in. And then he kicked the guy out there for what he was wearing. And we, we, we overlook it. We worry. We, we, we kind of like, we get concerned. What does it mean? You know, sometimes um, we don't know what it means. But this is how I read it. The servant's job was to bring the people. God's job was to do the judging. You and me are not called to judge people. We are called to bring people. God's job is to judge people. And he gives us our whole life to create a canvas with which he'll judge, not on one day or one moment or a bad situation or something that we regret our whole life to get our lives right with him, be sanctified, walk along, perfect, being made holy in Jesus' name. And he'll judge us all on one day. It's not judgment week. It's not called judgment month. He's not going to take eternity to judge us. He's going to judge us on one day for what we've done with our lives. Our job is not to judge. Our job is to bring. Ours is the gathering. God's is the sorting. I don't know why he was kicked out because his clothes were wrong. I'll figure it out, maybe. I don't know what it means with the gnashing of teeth. Is that a reference to hell? Not sure. I don't want to exegete too much from the passage without looking contextually and trying to figure out what is Jesus saying? What does this line up and what was the Apostle Paul have to say about this? We could figure that out another day. But my point today and what I can read from the passage is simple. We are not called to judge. We are called to bring. Let's do the bringing. Let God do the sorting. That you don't get clean to take. We don't look at someone and go, hey man, so like um, get your life right, then come to church. We don't look at someone and say, that's so far away from God. Our church is not for them. What? You misrepresented what the church is for. The church is for people who are away from God to come into relationship with Jesus. Revelation 22 verse 17 says, the spirit and the Bible, the spirit and the bride say, come. Come, they say. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Who is the bride, the church, the spirit and the bride? In other words, the spirit of God and the church both compel people to come, to simply offer an invitation for all to come. We try to do a job sometimes that doesn't belong to us, that it belongs to the master. Let's be more interested in life and death than we are in right and wrong. Let's be far more interested in someone's salvation, someone's journey with Jesus than we are about being right in an argument or proving someone wrong. Christianity is a relationship of transformation, not a religion of confirmation. It is a relationship of transformation that people's lives would be impacted through relationship with Jesus. And our job is to compel them to come. The Pharisees um, were making it hard for people it should be easy. They were forcing heavy loads and wouldn't lift a finger to help. In Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus simply said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus didn't come to control your life. He came to liberate it, that our compelling precedes their coming. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody. 
let's not judge people before they get to church because we don't think that they're quite right. They don't think that, we don't think they're quite ready. We judge and sort too soon. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Father, we pray today that God, you would speak to people right now. Touch our church. Give us a compelling nature, a compelling and charismatic, a, a, a gregarious, a passion for you, Lord, and for the lost. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Maybe if you're here today and you're not right with Jesus, you're away from God, you're not walking with Him, then I would love to compel you to the wedding banquet. You've, you've, you've had a look inside and you've listened to the sermon today, getting a feel for what even our church community is like with our online campus. But you're saying, I, I, I'm there, I'm ready to make a decision and pray a prayer to get right with Jesus. Friend, if that's you, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Can I do that right now? If you're saying, I need Jesus, I'm away from him, then pray this prayer with me. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. I love you so much, church. Be compelling this week. Compel people to come. Compel them into relationship with God. Bring them to church with you, part of our online campus. Throw them, throw them the link. Let them, let them be a part of what our church is doing. And I pray that you do that in Jesus' name. Love you so much. See you later. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.